What a gift music is to bring us into worship and to help us focus on the Lord. Thank you to, uh, to all who have helped us worship the Lord through music and through song this morning. It is a blessing to all of us. Let's pray as we prepare to hear God's word. Father, we come to you. And we come to you because you have come to us and invited us into your presence. Lord, we ask that you speak to us today. Help us to hear your word clearly. Father, we pray that you help us to see how these particular verses, how this particular text from your word speaks to us. Not just to those around us, but to each one of us. Father, help us to hear clearly Help us to accept what you have to say, and we pray that you work in us even through this time to transform us. We pray all this in your name, amen. So from January through Easter, we are in this series, The Big Reveal, working through Revelation 1 to 5. And before we read this morning's text, I wanted to take a moment, step back, and show the big picture of this whole sermon series, just to give a sense of of where we've been and where we're going. And I I picked Revelation 1 to 5 because I think it gives us, well, gives us a really good picture of the Christian life, where it starts, how we live it out, and where we're headed. And that starts with Revelation chapter 1, and as we talked about beginning in January, Revelation 1 shows us that this book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ to the church. This book is not revelations, it's not about all these different things that happen, but it's about how Jesus, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Jesus is the one who defines everything for us, and that is where we begin by looking to Jesus. That's Revelation chapter 1. The revelation, singular, of Jesus Christ to the church. And then Revelation 2 and 3, where we've been for the last couple months, and we'll be wrapping up this section today, is seven letters to seven churches. And there's, there's themes, those letters have a fairly set structure that we talked about when we started with Revelation chapter 2. And I don't want to talk to you about the structure so much today, as I want to remind you of what, what all those letters do. And what each of those letters do in a little different way is point again to Jesus and say, look, Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, church. Look, Jesus is the one who demands your allegiance. Jesus is the one who makes things right, who has all power. And look, Jesus is the one who saves you. Jesus is the one who gives you hope and life and peace. And then then there's a message to the church, and each church hears, hears a bit of a different message, but there are two overarching themes. And one theme is repent. And repent literally means turn. You're going off in this direction, Jesus says, turn and get back on the right path. Turn and again get focused on me. And then secondly, hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Through persecution, through trouble, through temptation, through everything, church, just hold on. And then in in different ways, Jesus, as he dictates all of these letters, reminds the church that he is a God of justice, that evil will be paid for, that evil forces will not triumph, and, and that if we choose evil instead of choosing Christ, then we will experience justice. But Jesus also reminds us that he is the one who took God's justice on himself so that we could be set free. 
And so he is a God of grace who cares for us and who welcomes us into the presence of the Father. Over and over again, these seven letters have shown us and will show us today, Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We need to repent, to turn away from other things and hold on to him, and we can hope in his justice and his grace. And then we're going to next month for Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter, we're going to work on Revelation 4 and 5, and you have to come back next month to find out what those are about. Actually, I'll tell you a little bit, but come back next month. Again, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter, we'll be working through Revelation 4 and 5 and wrapping up this series. And the message there really is worship the worthy one. Jesus Christ is the one who is worthy of all praise and glory, honor and power, and he saves us. So if you want hope, if you want life, worship Jesus Christ. So there's, there's three months worth of sermons and whatever that was, three or four minutes. And now with that big picture in mind, let's turn to our particular text for today. We're going to read the letter to the church of Laodicea from Revelation chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 14 to verse 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write... These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. So in this letter, Jesus, who is speaking to John and having John write this down, Jesus introduces himself as the Amen, as the faithful and true witness, and as the ruler of God's creation. And and the key point with those, with those descriptors is basically Jesus is Lord. He has authority, and so with what he has to say, you had better listen. And in some respects, he's coming to this church in Laodicea as the judge, and, and his first message to them is a message of, of correction and condemnation. Verses 13 to 17 are all about be hot or be cold. Be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. He says, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, the traditional view, and one if you've heard sermons on this text over the years, is that, is that really they should be hot. They should be spiritually on fire and just obviously Christians and just burning in their zeal. And if they aren't that, then it's probably better that they be cold, that they be spiritually disconnected, that they be just stone, heart, dead, cold in their sin. Because, goes the theory, people who are lukewarm will never respond. They, they've heard enough of Jesus that they don't care. But people who are cold, when they encounter the gospel, they may actually 
jump to be warm, to be hot. And intuitively, that kind of makes sense. Sometimes if you talk to people who, who have no experience of the gospel or who are, who are just stone cold spiritually, when they get the gospel, they really catch fire. And many people who are lukewarm spiritually stay lukewarm no matter how many times they hear the gospel because they've heard it before and it's not news to them. Now, that's the more traditional take on this text, but, but I don't think it's the right text. I think it's a good message, but I don't think it's one that really fits this text because if you read this and you pay attention to what Jesus is saying, he's not saying, be hot. He's saying, be hot or be cold. Do either one. Don't be lukewarm. And it doesn't seem like it makes sense that Jesus would say to us, ah, you know, just be spiritually dead. That's fine. If, if you can't be lukewarm, be dead. That's, well, if you can't be hot, be cold. That, that doesn't really make sense with how Jesus presents this. And so scholars have dug into the background of Laodicea, and they've They've come up with a different way of thinking about this text. In this text, both hot and cold are good, and lukewarm is really gross. In most modern versions translated, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, but the literal word there is vomit. I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. You are so gross, I am going to throw up, says Jesus to this church. And the background that we have for that, that we think informs that, is is that the church in Laodicea well, was in the town of Laodicea, but, but a bit north there's the town of Heropolis. And Heropolis is famous for its hot springs. It has all these springs that bubble out of the earth, and they have all these minerals in them, and, and they're really, really rumored to be quite healthy for you. You can go to Heropolis, and, and the hot water will cure all kinds of sicknesses for you. So if you want, if you want hot water, if you want water of healing, Go to Heropolis. And so for us as believers, when we hear that, the message should be, well, well, you can be hot. You can be on fire for Jesus. You can be one of those loud and proud extroverts who declare the gospel to everybody. Or maybe you can be an agent of healing. You can be somebody who comes into others' lives and who really makes things better. Be hot, says Jesus, like Heropolis. And if you go south of Laodicea, you come to the city of Colossae, where the letter to the Colossians was addressed. And Colossae is famous, also famous for its springs, but for its cold springs. Colossae has some of the clearest and coldest water anywhere. And in a world without refrigeration, to have truly cold water, especially around the Mediterranean, is remarkable. If you want to be refreshed, if you want to experience a truly cool, refreshing drink, go to Colossae. And for us, the message for Laodicea and for us is, is maybe you aren't one of those, one of those hot people, but maybe, maybe you can be one of those refreshing people, someone who is a joy to be around, who brings renewal everywhere you go, or, or maybe you can be one of those cool people who in the middle of a crisis knows exactly what to do and how to guide the church. Be cold, be refreshing, be renewing. And then we come to Laodicea. And Laodicea is about halfway between Heropolis and Colossae. And they, well, the town is founded on a crossroads. It's a, it's a place where people traveled through. And as it grows into a city, the water supply there is inadequate. So the Romans build this big set of pipes. And it's, it's really an incredible system. It goes about five miles south all the way to Laodicea. And it's probably a stone about this thick, well insulated, so the water doesn't flow out. 
but it comes from hot springs there, and it, it flows five miles. And water that flows five miles, even if the pipes are fairly well insulated, does not stay warm. And it doesn't get cold either. It gets kind of lukewarm. And it's coming from a hot springs. And, and if you've ever drank water or even smelled water from a hot springs, is it pleasant? Not really. It's pretty sulfurous. And so this water, well, it's really hard water. It's full of minerals. And so once it gets to Laodicea, it's, it's kind of drinkable, but it's nasty. It's not pleasant. Think of it this way. As, as we think about these three options, being hot, being cold, or being lukewarm, at the end of a long day in fall, if you go over to a friend's house who has a hot tub and you, you slide into that hot water and you just relax and your cares go away, well, be like that, says Christ. Be, be a source of healing, relaxation, joy. Or if it's a hot, hot summer and you've got the kids around or the grandkids and you put the sprinkler out in the backyard and they dance in it and then you, you bring out cold lemonade and everybody is so refreshed. Well, be like that. Be the, be the sprinkler in life. Be the one who brings coolness to hot situations. But, and probably many of you haven't done this, and it's kind of out of style these days, but, but imagine now you've got the sprinkler going, but then you walk over to the other hose that has been sitting in the sun for a while, and you turn that faucet on, you take a big drink of the water that's been sitting in the hose for a while, and what do you do? You spew it out. Because it tastes like rubber, and it's not really hot, but it's certainly not cold, and it's gross, so you don't want it. Blah! If you haven't had that, that experience, don't. But that is what Jesus is saying to the church. You can, you can be a Christian in all kinds of ways with who you are, with your particular giftedness, with your particular abilities. You can be who you are and be even more in Christ in incredible ways, but the one thing you cannot be is lukewarm. You cannot be complacent and apathetic as a Christian. That does not work. But you can be all kinds of other things. And Jesus says, I wish, I wish church in Laodicea and church today that you would not just hang out at the crossroads and be complacent with that, with that lukewarm yuck. Be who I made you to be. But just don't be apathetic and complacent. And then Jesus goes on, and, and he tells this church to get real wealth. This is verses 18 and 19 now. And, and Laodicea is a really wealthy city, and incredibly wealthy. So wealthy that when there were earthquakes, they would often say they didn't need Roman help to rebuild. We talked about earthquakes a bit ago with another city. And, and most of the cities who were hit by earthquakes, because Rome had all the wealth, went and begged for help. And Laodicea basically said to Rome, no, we're good. We got everything we need. And the way, that, the way that they say this, is, as Revelation puts the words in their mouth, is a little bit Yoda-esque, a little bit of a, a funny word sequence, and a little bit sing-songy. Rich I am, become wealthy I have, not a need I have, says the church at Laodicea. We have everything we need. And Jesus comes to them and gives them a reality check. I I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in fire and to buy white clothes and, and to buy salve so that you can put it on your eyes. You people think you are rich, says Jesus, but you are wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. You got nothing. So come and get it from me. 
And there's, you know, the scholars debate a little bit how much you can say this is specific to Laodicea, but, but there's certainly some things there that would have rung some bells for this church. This is a banking center, a city famous for its, for its financial industry. And Jesus tells them, I counsel you to buy gold from me refined in fire. For all your wealth, he is saying, for all your wealth you have nothing. And Laodicea is famous for its fabric and textile industry. They had, they had managed to create this breed of sheep that created or that grew really, really wonderful, soft, dark, dark black wool. In most places that were going to do darker wool, they had to dye it and make dark fabrics that way. And the dye didn't stick real well. And it kind of just never looked great. But this was naturally black wool that made these incredible dark fabrics that were, that were expensive and highly desired. Laodicean black wool could make you some good clothes. And Jesus speaks to that church and says, that's not what you need. That's not what you need. That, that just leaves you naked and pitiful in the end. Come and buy from me shining white clothes. That's what you really need. And then Laodicea is a medical center. There's a really famous medical school there. It's a place where, where people go when nowhere else can help them. Sort of a, well, around here, a University of Chicago, a Northwestern, a Rush, or, or maybe a Mayo Clinic, a place where when you've run out of all your other options, you go there, and you hope they can help you there. And Laodicea had a couple particularly famous doctors who settled there and started this medical school. And with the hot springs in that area, there was, there was all these compounds, all these mineral things that were especially supposed to help people with eye conditions. And so if you had an eye problem in the ancient world and, and the local area you lived in couldn't do anything, you'd go to Laodicea. And you would try to buy a salve there that would cure, cure your broken vision. And Jesus speaks to this church in this place that has that background and says, that's not good enough. As good as your medical facilities are, they still leave you spiritually blind and hopeless. So what you need is to come to me and to get salve that will cure you spiritually. Now, it's, it's kind of funny that Jesus tells this church to come and buy, come and buy, come and buy, and they think they're wealthy, and they've got a lot of money, but in fact, they can't buy what he has to sell. The price is too much for them. And so when Jesus says, come and buy, what he's really saying is, well, come and let me give you. Come and let me give you what you need. You will never have enough money. Let me give you everything you need. Your clothes will always wear out. Let me give you clothes that will last forever. Your health will never be perfect. Let me give you a whole new life. And that is exactly the offer that Jesus comes to us with today. You will never have enough. You will never be enough. You can't take it with you. But I will go with you. And I will take care of you. And that leads to the last couple verses in this text, verses 20 to 22, where, where the invitation comes to, to sit with me. Jesus says to these people, come and sit with me. And this, this is really an interesting and unexpected development at this point in the letter. 
If you think about it, the tone of this letter so far has been pretty negative. Don't be, hot, don't be lukewarm. Be hot or cold. Pick one, people. And you think you're so great, but you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. Wouldn't you just love it if Jesus showed up here and said that to us? We'd really feel great, wouldn't we? And based on the pattern of the previous letters, the Laodiceans are probably expecting now to get told, shape up, get your act together. What do you people think you're doing? And Jesus has had some harsh words of corrections for churches along the way, but, but here in Laodicea, here in Laodicea, and again, remember, all the churches got all these letters. They got this whole book. So, so they've read through the other six, and they know what to expect, but instead of coming and, and lowering the boom of correction, instead of saying, here's the consequences of your sin, Jesus unexpectedly comes with compassion. He says, look, I'm here at the door. Look, I'm right here. Here I am. I am standing at the door and knocking. And if you open up the door, I will come in and we will eat together. You know, in most cafeterias, there's the cool table. And everybody knows what table it is and nobody dares to sit there. And, and if you're the new kid, you, boy, you really would love to sit there, wouldn't you? But you can't. But what if at the cool table there was someone who said to every new kid, hey, come sit here. Come sit here with us. And what if at the cool table there was a kid who said, everybody who's on the outskirts gets to sit at this table. The cool table is big enough for everybody. I have never seen that. I don't know if you've ever even heard of it, except for here. Jesus Christ, the, the Lord of everything, he comes and he says, I'm at the door. Here I am, and if you open it up, I will come in, and we will sit together at the cool table. And in those days, to, to eat with somebody was not a casual thing. To, to eat with somebody, to go into their house and attend a dinner party, well, you were identifying yourself with them. You were becoming united with them. If you ate dinner with somebody, then their reputation became your reputation. If you entered their house, then, then you were together with them. And so what Jesus is saying to this lukewarm, wretched church is, let me come in. Let me come in. I want to sit with you. You belong to me. Jesus is, is inviting this church to be his brothers and sisters. He is making siblings out of them when when he could just as well treat them as enemies for how they have mistreated him. And that, that is what Jesus does for us too. Jesus comes to us and he makes us his brother and his sister. He is always the oldest brother. He always has that, that authority in that place, but, but he welcomes all of us into the household of God and says, won't you come and sit and have dinner with me? Jesus makes us his brothers and sisters. And then Jesus goes on in this text, and he makes an audacious promise. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Not only is Jesus going to have dinner with us, not only does he make us his brothers and sisters, but he's going to make us royalty. Jesus says, and again says to this church that he has roundly condemned, he says, I will make you reign with me. You will sit on my throne. 
There was a, a type of throne in those days that was literally translated to throne. To throne. And we know of a, a coin from the reign of Caesar Augustus the emperor where he was si- sit- seated on the throne. And next to him, I think, was, I think the name was Marcus Agrippa. And this was someone who Caesar Augustus had adopted as his heir. This was his close friend. This was his buddy. This was, this was the person who had all of his authority. And they sat next to each other on this two throne, and they reigned together. And that is what Jesus is saying to each one of us. Come and sit with me on the throne. Come and belong with me. Be part of my family and reign with me. Jesus makes us his brothers and sisters. He also makes us princes and princesses. He gives us stewardship. He gives us this this place where we stand and reign. I guess where we sit and reign, if you want to go with the throne metaphor. Where we sit and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus promises even to a church that has let him down. Even to a church that is lukewarm and out of touch with reality. And so as we, we wrap up these seven letters, Jesus is well, he's coming to a church that isn't perfect. And by the way, faith isn't a perfect church. If you haven't noticed that, I'm sorry. We're not perfect. But Jesus comes to us just like he does to every church and says, you belong with me. You belong with me. And I want to spend time with you and I want to work with you and I want to play with you and, and I want us to be, to be together forever. This is the heart of Jesus' message in all of these letters. Yes, we experience trouble. Yes, we sin. No, we do not deserve to be with the Lord, but he comes with his grace and with his power, and he gives us the victory. And that victory means that we get to sit with Jesus Christ in fellowship, and it means we get to work and reign with him in power. So turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus and we find more and more that all of us are made into his image, into who he wants us to be. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the good news that you give us through this letter. And Lord, we must confess that we often fall back on our own resources. We must confess that we are often a bit apathetic a bit withdrawn, a bit lukewarm. And Lord, we are so grateful to hear that that even when your church is not quite right, that you still love us and care for us. Father, we pray that you help us to hear, well, if we need to hear words of correction this morning, then help us to hear those words. And Father, if we need to hear words of comfort, words of belonging, words of mission, words of hope and peace, then help us to hear those words. Lord, you know us better than you know ourselves. You know our needs. You know our troubles. We pray that you more and more apply the good news of Jesus Christ to our lives. Amen.